Uh, most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that you've given us together to come and to study your word, to grow together in the knowledge of your truth and your wisdom and your love and your mercy and grace. We thank you so much for uh, uh, Coastal Transition Ministries and what they're doing for uh, folks that are still trying to get back on their feet. We pray for every person in this room who is st- struggling and uh, ask you to uh, be a light for their path, helping them to... Uh, know what right decisions need to be made and give them the willingness and strength to do just that. We thank you for the people who are so kind to prepare these lunches for us every week. We pray that you'll take this food and bless it our bodies and our bodies to your service. And so now as we come to your word, we open your scriptures. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds, and our lives to your truth. Help us to receive that truth and help us to believe that truth and help us to walk in that truth and share it with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we've been talking. Uh, this class that we have is called the... the uh, life of Christ, the life of Christ, and we are studying the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. Remember the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what we're doing is we're taking all four of those books and compiling them together into one chronological story. What do I mean by chronological story? In the order of the time that they actually fell out, and so we're about at the midway point of the the life of Christ. Now, how, how long has Christ lived? Does anybody know? How long has Jesus lived? Years. 33, 30 some years. 34. 34. All right, let me ask that again. How long has Jesus lived? Forever. He's Forever. eternal. That's Forever. exactly Forever. right. <laughs> That's exactly right. I was going to say, well, I thought we said 33. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, in his... So in the but in John chapter 1, it tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus literally is God. He clothed himself in humanity. He wrapped himself in a human nature and walked among us so that he could help us to know God. And so that we could help so that we can know God in a better way. Because to know God is a spirit and no one has ever seen God but he clothed himself in humanity and presented himself to us in such a way that we could see him. That we could hear him, that we can understand him, that we could relate to him. And remember what it says. It says that um, he humbled himself and became a man. He humbled himself and became a man. And that he has experienced the same infirmities that we have. Even though he is without sin, he knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to be sad. He knew what it was to be broke. He knew what it was to not be able to pay his bills. He knew what it was to to have family and loved ones who thought he was crazy. He knew what it was like to have uh, people who hated him. He knew what it was like that even when he did the right things, people rejected him and refused him. And so when you come to him in prayer, when you come to seek him in his word, remember that you have a God who can sympathize with you and not only can he sympathize with you but he can empathize with you because he has walked the earth just like you have so jesus became a man he lived for on the earth for 33 and a half ish years all right he was born of the virgin mary suffered under pontius pilate was crucified dead and buried on the third day what did he do he rose from the dead then after 50 days he ascended into heaven and now he is sitting at the right hand of the father Right? He has accomplished the plan that he set forth, which was to come and to seek, to, to die to save those who were lost. And now he is sitting on the throne. He and the Father have sent their spirit, the Holy Spirit, down here to the earth to now finish up the plan that they set into motion. 
from eternity past. And so for each and every one of you in this room, if you're in this room today and you are a believer, the reason you are a believer is because the Holy Spirit opened your ears and your eyes and your hearts to be able to understand God's promise. And you received that promise and now you have that promise. And the reason that you were able to receive that promise and have that promise is because someone else who had received that promise came and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. You heard those words, and through hearing the word, the Spirit began to work in your life and change you. And now, you have the responsibility as a child of God to go out and share that promise with those around you. And and so as we study the life of Christ, we can understand the world around us, and we can understand the world's reaction to the truth. Jesus was the truth. Have you ever thought about that? We live in a world today where people say, well, God, Jesus just loves everybody and he would never be mean to anybody or never condemn anybody. He would just love everybody just like they are. And the truth of the matter is, is that God is love. But God is also just and God is also truth. And so for Jesus to come to me and find me living a life of sin, whatever that sin may be, he's not going to be pleased with me, is he? He is going to command me to turn away from my sin and myself and to turn to Him and to trust Him and to walk with Him. And so you live in a world around you that if you go and confront people with truth, it's going to get ugly. And that's what we're seeing in the life of Jesus. Jesus came as the way, the truth, and the life, and the world around Him hated Him because He pointed out that they were not the way, the truth, and the life. And every one of us in this room, even if we're a Christian, know that we are very, very capable of being self-centered and self-righteous and self-sufficient. And I don't need people telling me what to do. Or trying to figure out how to get out of a situation and not giving it to God. Yes, that's exactly right. Not asking for guidance. So as we study the life of Christ, we remember that God has uh, inspired the apostles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to write these words so that we can know him, so that we can understand him. And as we study it, we need to understand that that's the point of the scriptures, is for us to be able to know God, for us to be able to receive him, for us to be able to believe him, and for us to be regenerated, to be born again, and for us to then be children of God walking in a world that will not accept us anymore that they accepted him. And when you find yourself not wanting to be a part of the word... Not wanting to read the scriptures, not caring what the preacher's saying, not wanting to go to church, not wanting to be around other Christians. There's two reasons for that. One could be that you're not regenerate, that you're not born again, that your heart and your mind are still fallen in this world, and you really, deep down, don't want anything to do with Jesus. A lot of people want to have a relationship with Jesus as long as he can get them out of jail, as long as he can sober them up, as long as he can fill their bank account with some money, as long as he can give them health, wealth, and prosperity, they want to do with Jesus. But the Jesus that comes to them and tells them that they need to change their life, Mm -hmm. the fallen man doesn't want anything to do with that Jesus. And so if you find yourself not wanting to study God's Word, if you find yourself not wanting to be around other Christians, if you find yourself on Sunday not wanting to go to church, it could be that you're just simply unregenerate, that you have never been born again. And if you see that and that's the case, 
then he commands us to repent, to turn away from sin itself and turn to him and trust him. Well, that's not saying being reprobate, is it? No. Reprobate? Reprobate means that, reprobate means that you're so hard that you'll never turn. But there are also times in our lives, how many of us in this room that are born-again Christians struggle with sin? Every one of us. Every day we struggle with sin. The difference in a child of God and a child of the world is that a child of the world embraces his sin. A child of God struggles with his sin. That's the difference. The difference is is that when my mind falls into lustful thought patterns, I realize that it's wrong and turn away from them. A child of the world will fall into lustful patterns of thought, and what will they do? They will embrace the lust, you see? And so there is nothing in the world wrong with struggling with sin. Matter of fact, you're commanded to do that. You are commanded to fight against those natural fallen impulses that we have within us. So, sometimes the reason we don't want to study the Word of God is because the Word of God is telling me things about me that I don't want to hear. How many of you have ever been to church and felt like the preacher was just talking to you? Right? How many of you have ever gone to church and said, uh-oh, he's been, in my, you know, he's been reading my text messages or he, you know, he's been looking at my browser history on my computer. Why, what, why is he saying that? Well, the reality is, is that the Spirit of God is at work in all of the world around us today. And it's at work in you. And so as the Spirit of God works in you, um, if you are truly a child of God, you'll be convicted and turn to Him and confess your sins and find forgiveness. If you're a child of the world, you're going to rebel against Him and grind your teeth and ball your fists and continue to live the way that you were living. But what, it's hard to discern because I could have a voice tell me, you're not good, you need to kill yourself, you're just not even good. But, all right, so hear what Michael said? Yourself. It's hard for me to discern the difference in conviction, yeah. right? All right, so... The difference in the two voices is the voice of the Holy Spirit is always pushing you to Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If I have thoughts of killing myself, that is definitely not from the Holy Spirit. You see the difference in those two? The Holy Spirit is always seeking to drive you to the cross, to drive you to Christ, to drive you to the conforming work that He is doing in you. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. That's what he's called in the scriptures. And that means he's going to constantly bring up your past and constantly remind you of all of the things that you have done wrong. All right. So one, one more rabbit trail I'll leave learned. Um, getting baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit. What's the difference? Um, well, the same difference in the fact that you just ate a tuna sandwich and some brownies and a potato chips. You fed your physical body. Mm-hmm. When you read the scriptures, uh, you are feeding your spiritual man. All right, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the work that the Holy Spirit does upon your heart. It's a spiritual work that plays out in your physical life. And once He has baptized you and regenerated you and made you a child of God, He commands you to go and stand before your peers and to be baptized in water. All right. The, the baptism in water is simply a way for you to tell the world around you what God has done in you. Okay. Yes. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in us. So that's the baptism in the Holy Spirit, right? Yes. So um, there are there are a lot of there are a lot of different um, viewpoints on that. Some people believe that regeneration is a baptism of spirit. I personally believe that. Um, and then there are times in your life where God is 
without a doubt working in you and people will say that you get a second baptism right the, Jesus said you must be born again he didn't say you must be born again and again and again and again I, that is a one time work um, but so the, you could see baptism in the spirit as uh, in John he says this if we uh, say we're without sin the truth is not in us and we deceive ourselves, but if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as I pray and ask for forgiveness, He washes me clean. That could be a baptism, if you will. But the baptism is the regenerative work, the being born again in the heart. The physical baptism outwardly is uh, when uh, you stand before a group of people and you say, Hey, everybody. God has done a work in my heart, and now I am showing all of you that I have died with Christ, I have been buried with Christ, and I have been raised again in a newness of life. All right? Now, yes, ma'am. What do you personally think about the gift of tongues? The gift of tongues? Wow. Well, I, I really I don't want to get off into that. Um, the gift of tongues in the Bible, the purpose for the gift of tongues in the Bible was so that the message of God could be proclaimed. All right. And so, in other words, Paul was going around to all of these strange foreign lands and there was all kind of languages out there that he was confronting. And the purpose of the Spirit giving him the gift of tongues was so that he could speak and the people could hear what he was saying. All right. Or so they could interpret it. Right. So in, in the, at, at, at Pentecost, um, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, Peter preached. Peter was preaching in Greek. But all of the people that were there listening and preach had come from all over the world to come to Jerusalem for the, the festival of Pentecost. And as he spoke in his language, they were all able to hear him and understand them in their language. He was only speaking in one language. He was speaking in the language that he knew. The people that were listening were able to hear what he was saying interpreted it in their language. So the Holy Spirit was interpreting what Peter was saying into a language that they could hear. The modern day tongues movement, the modern day speaking in tongues uh, is more uh, you speaking in a funny language and the people not being able to understand it. You have to have an interpreter in order for them to understand it. Babel means confusion. Yeah, the Bible means confusion. The people were living in rebellion to God, so God confused all of their language so that they couldn't understand one another, so that they couldn't depend upon one another. When the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, it was a reversal of the Bible. It was a reversal of the Bible. They were now able to understand. So, um, <clears throat> there, there are a lot of denominations, a lot of churches that focus on speaking in tongues. There are even some churches in Pentecostal circles that would tell you that you're not saved unless you can speak in tongues. Um, again, the purpose of tongues in the Bible was so that the message of Jesus Christ could be proclaimed to the world. And could uh, be understood by folks who spoke different languages. Yes. Right. So, in a lot of the modern churches that we're in today, a lot of the modern tongues movement is so that people can give a new revelation. I have a new word for you from God. And if somebody comes to me and they tell me that they have a new word from God, I'm going to tell them they can go put it in the trash can. I don't want to hear it. Right. Because I have the word. Okay? It's, it's not even funny. It's like, I have God's word. I don't need anything new. I don't need... Yeah. Not to take anything away from 
right. And so, um, more often than not, these sign <laughs> gifts are a focus on what I'm doing. Sign gifts meaning speaking in tongues, healing people, these these kind of things. That showing, oh, God is really at work in my life. These sign gifts are actually um, something that draws attention to the person doing it as opposed to Jesus. So, in other words, I'll leave it like this. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said that He sends His Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit would teach us all things concerning Him. Him being Jesus. So Jesus said, I will send my Spirit and my Spirit will teach all things concerning Him being Jesus. So, what is the role of the Holy Spirit as He dwells in us? To teach us all things about who? Jesus. All right. Now, in a lot of the modern churches, we'll have a spirit-filled experience in the church. And when everybody leaves the church, it'll be like, oh, the spirit was really moving today. Could, couldn't you feel him? Right? Yeah. Who are they talking about? Jesus. No, they're talking about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus. Okay. Not to himself. Right. The Holy Spirit does not speak of himself. He speaks of Jesus. So I would warn anyone who is in a tongues movement to be very careful because a lot of that is emotionalism. A lot of that is personal uh, experience. It's not that you don't get goosebumps and it's not that the hair don't stand up on your arms and it's not that you don't get these exciting feelings inside because all of those things are very true about that movement. But the Holy Spirit is not here to give us goosebumps. The Holy Spirit is not here to give us an experience. The Holy Spirit is here to change our hearts, to teach us His Word, and to point us to Christ, and to conform us to the image of Christ. So, so anyhow, we do we have to get into the text, guys, because we've been we've been running rabbit. I, I love all of your questions, and anytime that anybody wants to talk or talk about any of these things after class, I would be more than happy to stay and do that. But we do have to get into the text. So let's look at John chapter seven because we've been in this. Uh, passage for quite a while and I do hope that we can get out of it today so let's look at John chapter 7 and we're going to start in um, verse 25 I'm going to read that for you and then we're going to go back through and talk about it it says so some of the people of Jerusalem were saying is not this the man whom they are seeking to kill look he is speaking publicly and they are saying nothing to him The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hands on him because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, When the Christ comes, will he not perform more signs than those that this man has? Will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore, Jesus said, For a little while longer I am with you, then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. 
Then the Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Is he intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? Is he? What is this statement that he said, You will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, This is the Christ. Still others were saying, Surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said to him, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered and said, Never. Has a man spoken this way, that the way that this man speaks? The Pharisees then answered them and said, You have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers of the Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But then the crowd, which does not know the law, is a curse. Nicodemus, he who came from him before, being one of them, said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? And they answered and said, You are not from Galilee, are you? Search the scriptures and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. And then everyone went home. So as you can see, we have been talking. Jesus has gone to this festival, one of the three main festivals that the Jews celebrated every year. Right? Uh, uh, this is the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, who remembers the reason why they went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. Why did they do that? Because the temple's there. Okay, that's where the temple is. And what's so important about the temple? That's where the Spirit of God That's dwells. where God dwells. When they were in the wilderness. All right, so all of the Jewish people had uh, an understanding that if they wanted to meet with God, they had to go to the temple. And it was commanded that three times every year, all Jewish males would pack up and go down to Jerusalem and meet for festivals. This festival that they're meeting out here is the Feast of Tabernacles. It was commanded by God for them to go and worship. All right, now, I want you to think about the fact that the Jews would all go to Jerusalem every year to the temple to worship. All right, now, do you remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? This is what the woman at the well said. She was Samaritan. She was not 100% Jew. She was half Jew and half Assyrian. Okay, She asked Jesus this. She said, well, you guys go down to Jerusalem every year, year to the temple, and we go to Samaria. Where's the right place to go and worship God? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I, I tell you, woman, uh, worship in spirit and truth. Good. Truth follows worship in spirit. The hour will come when you will not go to Jerusalem to spirit, but God to, to worship, but God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Alright? So, what was he telling the woman? The proper place to worship God is in spirit and in truth. Alright? Now, 
I do remind you that there are a lot of people that stay home on Sundays and they say, well, I don't have to go to church to worship God. I can worship Him right here in my house. But remember that worshiping God is not about you. It's about loving God and loving your neighbor. The great commandment for you as a Christian is to love God and love your neighbor. To love God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So our worship of God, our worship of God, is about loving God and loving our neighbors. And when you are locked up in your house doing what you do on Sunday instead of going to church, I can promise you that 99% of the time you are not worshiping God and you are not lo- you're not loving God and your neighbor, you're loving yourself. I have several friends that love to go out on a boat on Sunday and go fishing all day. And they'll say, well, I can worship God out here in nature just as I can, good as I can. But the reality is they're cursing when their line breaks, right? They're cursing when they miss a fish. Right, right. So... We do go to church, and one of the reasons we go to church is because that is the mode of worship that God has given us as a way to worship Him in spirit and truth. Now, are there churches around where you go there and you're actually not worshiping God in spirit and truth? Certainly. Yes. But not there certainly are, right? Uh, and is it possible for me to worship God in spirit and in truth when I'm by myself? Certainly. Yes, when I pray at night, that's an act of worship. When I do kind deeds for other people, that's an act of worship. So can I worship God in spirit and truth outside of the the church? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. But God has given me that as a way. Because why? Because the, the same way that the Jews went to Jerusalem to worship God, because that's where His Spirit dwelt. Well, guess where the Spirit of God dwells now? In the believer. And so when a bunch of believers gather together, the Spirit of God is there. You see how that works? And so not only that, but in the book of the Revelation, it tells us that in heaven, in heaven, there is no temple. Do you know why it says in Revelation that in heaven there is no temple? Why? Because the next statement said, because Jesus is the temple. Okay? What does that mean? It means the temple is the place that we go to worship worship God. And Jesus is the way that we worship God because He is the mediator between God and man. He's the go-between. So the true temple is Jesus. And He is the way that we worship God. Yep, there you go. So now Jesus has gone to this Jesus has gone to this uh, festival and you can see the crowd's reaction to who He is. Remember, we've, we've said before that there was all kind of people following Jesus around, weren't there? We said that some of the people were there just so that they could get lunch, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not talking to any of you in this room. I know y'all didn't all come here for tuna fish, right? Because I saw two of you turn your nose up at tuna fish. You didn't even want to eat it, right? But are there people that go to churches just because they have a dinner on Wednesday night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there certainly is. There are, yeah, and holiday. There are people that go there to fill their bellies. Right. There are people to go to there to church. Um, I can tell you for a fact. I know the old pastor that used to be at this church here. Um, he and I. He confided with me. He said you would not believe the number of people who come here every week wanting us to pay their light bills and their cable bills. And that's all they do. I mean, I've met people that way. No, I'm saying I have met people on the street 
And my mother was one of them, God rest her soul. But like when she needed help, she would go to the church to ask. But she never did. She never would attend the church. But our pastor, it was it was my grandmother's pastor. He always helped her. But she didn't go there to attend right. church. She died when she was fifty four. So there are a lot of people that follow Jesus just for the fringe benefits. All right. Well, I feel like this. I'm sorry. I feel like this. I don't care what it is you go to church for. You happen to be there. And how the Holy Spirit does you, for whatever reason you went to church, it's better than you not being in the church. I certainly agree. Okay, because what I feel is, I called Miss Lori this morning. I haven't been here like three years because I have my own place and I'm I'm grateful for God blessing me. Mm. And she came into my spirit. I said, let me call Lori today. And now I'm here. But the people who go to church for whatever reason you think they go to church for, God is working on them. Sure. Because actually, the more they go to church, is the more they're going to wake up with the Holy Spirit inside of them. We w- yeah, we or would, we would the hope. church shouldn't have dinners and all this right. stuff. Right. Well, we would hope. And so the reality is, is that we go to church... Uh, to worship God, to sit under the teaching of God's Word because it is God's Word that conforms us. And so that Word goes out to all in the congregation and it works on different people in different ways. And it's not up to me to sit around and judge people for for how it's working working in their life. But the point I'm making is this. There is always the crowd following Jesus that are there for the benefits. There are some there that we see in the life of Jesus that are there just because he's doing these miracles and it's something exciting, right? So uh, a lot of times uh, people are attracted to a Pentecostal church, a church where the tongues is being uh, spoken or where healings are being done. Why? Because that's something exciting, man. To go in and sit in a church and just hear some preacher standing up in the pulpit, just rah, 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 rah. That's not fun. That's not exciting. And then there's going to be your, uh, what, what is he called? The mockers. That You're going to have the, you know, the people to attend just to be able to mock Jesus and yep. criticize yep. him. Right. You know, to find right. something wrong. Yeah, and then you're going to find a teacher yeah. who actually teaches right. Right. to long grab long. your yeah. attention because the word he's saying, like you're so yep. But Bob, the Bible even said that though, right? Ronnie, Jesus said, uh, you came because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Right. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. so I get what you're saying about people coming okay. to church. For so right. that's one group. One group is the people that are there for something exciting. This is something new. This is something I've never seen before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. you saw the then there's one group that you just mentioned mm-hmm. that God's spirit is actually at work drawing them to him. Them to and so they're there. They may be mockers. They might be. How many people that have been mockers in the past have been converted and become uh, foundational Christians. Christians yeah. The Apostle Paul was a mocker. He, he was, was going around killing yeah. Jews, and God converted him and changed him and made him a believer. So there, there's the, there, there are there those there who are doubters and mockers, and they're not sure. Then there are some there that are actually sincere followers. They know that Jesus is the way. What did what did the disciples say? All the crowd left. After Jesus said, you've only come for the loaves, you're not here for me, you're just here to fill your bellies. And he said, I tell you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part with me. And what happened to the crowd? They all left. And there was only 12. again here in John 2, right before the the chapter we're reading. There was only 12 left. And Jesus said, do you guys want to leave too? And what did Peter say? Where else can we go? You have the word of life. You have the words of life. 
So they knew in their heart that this was the way, the truth, and the life. And they knew they had to follow him no matter what. And all of those disciples, except Judas, who did stay, all of those except Judas died serving Christ. All of the apostles, all the guys that wrote these scriptures for you died as martyrs. They were John, all killed John for their killed. Christian faith. Judas was only there for the blessings. John was exiled, I mean, and he died a martyr. He died in exile. In exile. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I've seen that happen. I, I said Judas, he was only there for the blessings. You know, he wasn't necessarily there to worship. Well, he was also there because Jesus referred to him as the son of perdition. There's only one other person in all Scripture referred to as son of perdition. That's Satan. Judas was Satan's tool. As a go-between. Judas was the tool that Satan used to get him arrested. But remember, Jesus knew. He said, one of you is a devil. He, he already knew who he was. And, and he washed his feet. The night he was going to be arrested, he got down on his knees and washed Judas's feet, knowing that he was the very one that was going to betray him. Well, you think God forgave Judas because he used them to oh, yeah. bring about? I, I think he forgave him, though. You say that God forgave Jesus? No, no, no. no. Now, Jesus Judas, is God. Judas, God even Jesus. though he betrayed, did he not say Judas. that, though? Oh, Judas, no. No, Judas died. He died. Judas committed suicide. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he committed suicide by that tree. He forgave, he forgave Peter. If you go to the end of John, John chapter 20, you'll see where he forgave oh, Peter for denying, for denying three oh, times. But he never... So, again, there are going to be times in our lives, as, even as Christians, where we get caught up in the crowds and we go to church because there's a good meal. We go to church because there's something exciting. We go to church because there's some fringe benefits involved in it. We can get caught up in that too. We don't need to just be pointing our finger to other people. But the real reason that we're here to be there is why. Because he has the words of life. But what I was going to say is like modern day, a lot of people go to church. And I, I noticed this a couple of years ago. And I thought like literally there was people that they were, they were doing a, 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 like a study on it. They were asking them questions. And like there was a group of young teenagers in early 20s. That they ask them, you know, why was they attending church? It's just because, oh, I, well, I grew up in church, you know. It's just what we've done every Sunday. In other words, somehow going to church on Sundays also been like modernized to the thing where just people just does it. So it's like those people didn't even say anything about going to worship God or or anything like that. That it was just because, yep. you know, my parents done it, so I'm going to do it. So I'm going to teach my kids to do it. Good. All that means is they might not understand. It. So, so remember, but the church is a hospital for souls. Well, Jesus, the, is the, the church is a gathering place for those that worship. The church is the gathering place for the, the children of God to worship God. All right. Now, remember, Jesus is confronting the same thing that you're bringing up right now. Mm-hmm. Tradition. Yeah, that's Most of those yeah. people were just going down to the temple because that's just what they did three times a year. Mm-hmm. They weren't going down there to worship God. It was just, this is what we do every year in October. This is what we do. Right? Thank you. And you brought it up earlier. There's there's a group of people that just go to church on Easter and Christmas. That's the only two times they ever go to church. And it's just because that's what we do. You see? So Jesus is confronting a large crowd of people that were just simply bound up in tradition. This is just the way we do things. Mm-hmm. And what happens when the Word of God begins to shine on our traditions? Some traditions are not a bad thing. 
but a lot of them are. And when God's word starts shining on my tradition, this is the way that I've always done things. What happens when God shines on that way that I've always done things and it's not the right way? What is our reaction to that? Kind of back up. Yeah, whoa, whoa, man. You're getting into my lifestyle now. This is what we've always we've always done it this way. So we need to remember that Jesus is actually confronting that very crowd. These people are, you know, these these guys are sons of Abraham. Hey, we're Abraham's kids. This is what we've always done. And there's a conflict going on there. So all of these people. Now, um, Jesus cried out and he said this. um, the, The rulers... Uh, the people, the crowd around, the public crowd around are saying, they, they don't know that this is the Christ, do they? In other words, there's these questions going on in the crowd's mind that, hey, maybe this guy's something more. Maybe he's the Christ. The rulers here don't know that he's the Christ, do they? Yeah, and then they question about um, not being from Galilee. He's supposed to be from Bethlehem. Well, he was born in Bethlehem. We'll, so. we'll get there. Okay. We'll get there, Lord. That's very good. I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad you grabbed that. So uh, it says, then Jesus cried out. Now, he cries out to the crowd, and this is what he says. You both know me, and you know where I'm from, and have not come to myself. But he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So who is the one that sent Jesus? God the Father. And he's screaming at the crowd, and this is the first thing he says this. You know me. You know where I'm from, and you know who sent me. Right? You know me, where I'm from, and I have not come myself, but he who sent me. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. You both know me, you know where I am from, and I have not come from myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. So he said, y'all know where I'm from, you just don't want to believe it. You see what he's saying? So the point that Jesus is making to the crowd is, and this is true of everyone out there in the world around us, the atheist knows that there's a God. The Bible teaches us that he is willfully suppressing that truth. What does it mean to willfully suppress something? Willfully, no, bury it, okay? If I go into the laundry room on Thursday and I don't wash clothes until Saturday, I willfully suppress my laundry so that I don't have to wash a load of clothes. There you go. If my trash can is about full and I don't take it out till Monday, I will willfully suppress it after Sunday dinner so that I don't have to be the one to take the trash out. And what the Bible, what God teaches us is, is that every man in the world was created in God's image. And even that one that says he don't believe in God is willfully suppressing the truth that there is a God. He don't want to deal with it. Everybody. Have you ever thought about that? An atheist will say this. I don't believe in God and I hate him. How can you hate somebody you don't believe in? That's exactly right. But except for, I can can kind of see that because... Like, I, I don't know, this is just me. But, you know, okay, it's like, you know how, just say Satan. I I know that Satan's real, but I don't believe in Satan. Do you see what I'm getting at? No. Nope. That's the spirit. Yeah. You should believe in God. I believe in Satan. Satan. I believe in No, 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 I know Satan's that. real, but I believe Christ is stronger. But you don't believe in him, like, in other words, you don't trust him? Like. Well, no, it's like, you know, because he's a deceiver. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You, oh, have, yeah, to be, you have to be careful. In other words... Yeah, I know he's real, but you have to be careful like when it comes to Satan because of the fact that he's a deceiver because he can deceive you. Yep. So, I, so I don't believe in him. You know, I don't believe, you know, you know what I'm saying? Right. Well, but the point, the point we're making with the point with we're making with an atheist is an atheist says, I do not believe in him. 
but in reality he hates God. So in other words, the atheist doesn't believe if he's if he's normal, and atheist doesn't believe in Santa Claus either. But he won't sit he won't sit and argue with you for two hours that there's no such thing as Santa Claus. You see what I'm saying? Like he won't argue with there's no Santa Claus. Why? Because everybody knows Santa Claus is a fairy tale. Yes. But when it comes to God, that same atheist says, I don't believe in God, will argue with you until the cows oh, come home that he's not real. Sammy want to say something. Oh, yeah, my favorite thing with atheists is, is uh, you know, they, they don't believe in God and everything, but whenever somebody passes or something, how they explain to people they're, they're up in heaven, they're like, okay. Well, you don't believe in God, God, you believe in heaven, you know? See, most of them don't believe in God, he says, yeah. I can promise you this, every funeral that you've ever been to, that person went to heaven, according to whoever was doing the funeral. You never met him, I showed this guy. What is the agnostic? An agnostic means... Agnostic is the first cousin to atheist. They don't believe or they do. They just say, they say, I don't know. All right, so... Jesus said, I've come, uh, not come for myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. So he's claiming the crowd that they don't know God. Now, what's wrong with that? This whole crowd is in Jerusalem for what? Festival. For a festival to worship God, God and he's telling them they don't know him. Yeah. All right. Now, the crowd, but many of the crowd believed him. So some were seeking to seize him. But no man laid his hand on because his hour had not yet come. All right, The time for him to be arrested and crucified is not yet. not yet. So some of the crowd, what is their desire when Jesus says, you don't even know the one that sent me, what is their desire? To seize him and to kill him. Then it said some of the crowd believed in him, saying when the Christ comes, will he perform more signs than this guy has? So there's some of the crowd that is starting to do what? Maybe this is him. Maybe this is who. But the Pharisees, when they heard the crowd muttering about these things, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. So why did the Pharisees now want to go and get him arrested? We realize we find out that they've already. That's exactly right. Because if the people turn to God, then they turn away from them. What did Jesus tell? What did Jesus say about the Pharisees? Do as they say, but don't do as they do. Right? Yeah. They're normally saying something like that. Mm -hmm. Do as I say, not as I do. Right. Well, he tells them, he said, listen to your rulers, but don't act like them. Mm -hmm. Right? Because they sit in Moses' seat, but their hearts are not with God. Their hearts are with themselves. They love their self-sufficiency, their self-righteousness, uh, their self-will, and to trust in God means I've got to lay all of that aside. So basically, all of them got a title that they, they own. And power in the community. They, they have prestige in the community. But they don't want to give it up right. either. Now, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering about these things, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore, he said, for a little while, I'm with you. Then I will go to him who sent me. So if he's going to him who sent him, where is he going? Back to heaven. All right. You will seek me and you will not find me for where I am. You cannot come. Oh, good. Then the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we can't find him? Is he intending to go among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? Is that where he's going? Now, remember, the Jewish people didn't have anything to do with Greeks. Why? Because Greek people are filthy. They're goy. They're dogs. The Jewish people were very, very uh, enclosed. 
They didn't have anything to do with the goy, the dogs, the outsiders. And what what these guys are saying is, what does he mean he's going somewhere where we can't be? Is he going to hang out with the Jews? Like, is he going to go teach the Jews? Now, what would be the problem with that? Jesus is a rabbi, and the teachings of God, according to the Jewish mindset, was only for who? The Jews. We're God's people, not the Greeks. Mm -hmm. But now remember, a part of God's plan was, remember, everybody from Adam to Abraham were not Jewish, were they? Mm -hmm. Was there a lot of people worshiping God that were not Jewish between Adam and Abraham? Very much so. From From Abraham to Jesus, who was Jesus dealing with? The Jews. There was a lot of Hittites and Amorites and Perizzites and Canaanites that never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and died in their sin. The Jews were God's elect people, His special people. And He chose them so that they could be a light for the world. But instead of being a light for the world, they enclosed themselves and said, look how bright we are. You see? So instead of being a light for the world, they became a light for themselves. And the light that they thought they had was actually darkness. When the real light came into the world and said, I am the light of the world, what was their reaction to him? We're going to put your light out, right? Lights out. We're going to put you out. And the reality was the plan all along was for him to come to the Jews, for the Jews to reject him, and for him to turn back to who? To the world. Now, what is the rest of the plan? If you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, you'll find out that the Jewish people in the last days would wake up to the fact and say, wait a minute, that's our Messiah. You can't have him. It, it said it would provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. They would realize, wait a minute, the Gentiles have got our Messiah. And what would that cause them to do? To turn back to him. And what would happen? There would be one flock with one shepherd. So God's plan all along has been to save all of His people throughout the world. And right here, the Jewish people are saying, where are you going to go that we can't find you? Are you going to go hang out with the Greeks? Yeah. Right? Now, the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go? What is this statement he says, you will seek me and not find me. Where I go, you cannot come. All right now, on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. All right, it's hot outside today. You think he's talking about drinking water? He who believes in me, as from the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now, what Jesus is doing is Jesus is quoting the book of Isaiah. And listen to what Jesus said anyone who believes in me, who is me? Jesus. Jesus screams this from the top of the crowd. Anybody who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He's quoting the book of Isaiah. Now, you know what it says in the book of Isaiah? It says that those that put their trust in Yahweh. Who is Yahweh? God. God, Jehovah and God, covenant, keeping promise, keeping creator of the universe. Anybody who believes in him, from out of them will flow living water. So there is an actual claim here, isn't there? That the Yahweh of the Old Testament in Isaiah is actually Jesus. Jesus. In living flesh. Good. You see why they're mad? Another reason they're mad? Because Jesus is claiming to be the Son of 
God is claiming to be deity himself. Now, this he spoke of the Spirit, whom though they had not believed in him, were to receive, for the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right. Now remember, the plan is Jesus died on the cross, buried three days, uh, ascend, uh, rises from the dead, and ascends into heaven. When he ascended into heaven, what did he do? Fifty days later, he sends his spirit to dwell within the people. Just imagine God looking down and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their funny hats and their big robes running around all confused trying to figure out how to get rid of Jesus. Yep. You know, yep. God must have just been sitting there. What's wrong with him? The thing I want to know is, I just want to ask this question. When Jesus ascended to heaven, there's no flesh in heaven, so was he spiritual by the time he came? No, he is flesh. He's still flesh. No, I'm just saying, though, because God cannot come as flesh. He came as Jesus, so there's really no flesh in heaven because... He is, you know, he, remember, he, so he, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Okay, Everybody right. goes back to the dirt. Right, but remember, Jesus rose from the dead in a new form. He had to. Yeah. But that form is still flesh and blood. It's still flesh. Yeah, he had to come. So, so remember, he had to pour his blood out because yeah. it was... It well, was. He went to heaven, flesh and blood. Yep. That's yeah. what I want to know. Uh, fully man and fully God. Flesh and blood? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's what I want to yeah. know. And so when we uh, rise again and are given our new bodies, it will be in the same form be, as Jesus. It will be in the spirit. Right. Yeah. And so we can't, we can't understand that because we're fully flesh and angels are fully spirit. Jesus is fully flesh and fully spirit. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah, a lot, <laughs> way more than that. Yeah. A lot more than right. my comprehension. Listen, guys, I'm going to take this last question, and then we got to get through the text. Well, we might as well get through the text because uh, it, it's going it's to bring us past. We're going somewhere else. No, what? what? <laughs> I I don't know where I heard from, but during those three days, didn't didn't Jesus go down into hell and come? There's, yeah, he did. We're not going there today. That's a great. That's that's a, that's a great question you're asking. That's a great question you're asking. Yeah. The reality is the scriptures never address it and give us a, a firm answer. Okay. And it would be speculation. There are a lot of different theories about that, and we just simply don't have time to go into it today. So the fiery furnace? He did. He did. So he, um, our, our creed says he descended into the place of the dead. He he went into the grave. There's a lot. There, there's... That's way too big of a question. That would be a whole class in itself. But I'm glad you're thinking about those things. The answers are out there. You just have to seek them and find them. I just don't have time to address that today. Great question. Okay. So let's look at this last page. So some of the people, when they heard these words, they said, this certainly is the prophet. Now, the prophet, back in the book of Deuteronomy, God promised the children of Israel that another one would rise, a greater prophet than Moses. And the people were looking for that prophet. Remember, they asked John the Baptist, Are you the prophet? Mm -hmm. It was a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy that one greater than Moses would come along. And so this is what the people are asking. They said, This has got to be the prophet. Now, others were saying, This is the Christ. Others were saying, surely Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Now, why did they say that? Here's Lori's question. Has not the scripture said that Christ was from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village of David? So this is what they're saying. This guy is Jesus the Galilean. He's from Galilee. The Christ is a descendant of David and has to come from Bethlehem. Well, what do we know? 
because we've read the book of Matthew, because we've been going through a harmony of the Gospels and we've read Matthew, we know that Jesus is a descendant of who? David. David. Remember, so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so. And so. It reminds us that Jesus is David's descendant, so that means he's qualified as the Christ. And although Jesus lived in Galilee... When he was just a baby, what did his parent before he was born? What did his parents have to do? Caesar had a tax, and everybody had to go to their hometowns. And where was Joseph's hometown? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. So Jesus, the Christ, was actually born in Bethlehem. And most of this crowd just simply doesn't know that. They just assume this guy's from Galilee. Now it says some occurred. Uh, there was a division that occurred. Of, occurred among the crowd um, some of them wanted to seize him but no one laid hand on him so the officer said to the chief priest Pharisees why did you not bring him and the officer said nobody has ever spoken to us like this man has so what happens is the temple police are Levite priests who have been basically security. Like, y'all know how you go to church sometimes and there's men that stand around outside the church and kind of watch the cars in the parking lot and things? That's what temple police are. They're, they're priests that have been assigned to the security of the temple. So the Pharisees sent these police, these temple priests, to go and arrest Jesus, and Jesus spoke to them and convinced them otherwise that he didn't need to be arrested. Right? It kind of makes you think of the old Star Wars thing when these are not the droids you're looking for. You, you know, like like the old Jedi mind trick thing. But the reality was, what did they say? This man speaks like no one we've ever heard. What was he speaking? The words of his father. He was speaking the truth. And it was amazing them. So these, these temple police, they knew the scripture. They knew the Old Testament. And now here's Jesus expounding it in such a way that it's amazing them. Now... Watch this, and then we'll be done. I promise, God, we got three minutes left, and we'll be done. It said the Pharisees had, have you not been led astray also? But this crowd, how many of us in our our families, when we were turned into Christ, how many people, our aunts and uncles and cousins and and brothers and sisters said, man, that boy's lost his mind? Yeah. Right? Right? Crazy. When you turn away from the world and turn to Christ, it's a radical change. And the world's not ready to deal with that kind of radical change. Especially when you've been with the world. The world, so would, ra- the world would rather stay in this radical ways than to turn to the eternal way of Jesus. Jesus. They, the, the world would rather stay in all of this brokenness, in this $80 to fill up your car with gasoline, with an economy that's collapsing, with a, people shooting. One, the world would rather stay in all of that than to turn to Christ and know peace and love and joy. And then when someone does turn to Christ, you also sometimes you have the world like grabbing you. You know yep. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, Trying to get you back. Yeah. Yep. Good. Now, watch what it says. It says uh, Nicodemus, who came from him before, being one of them, said to them. Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears him and knows what he's doing, does it? They answered, you are not from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. So, um, look in verse 48. It says, no one of the rulers of the Pharisees has ever believed in him, has he? So, this is what the Jews are saying. None of our rulers have ever believed in this guy. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. Remember in John chapter 3? Nicodemus is one. What's happening to Nicodemus here is... Nicodemus is becoming more and more convinced that Jesus is who he is. As you read the book of John, you'll see that. He first came to Jesus at night and asked him questions, and Jesus had a conversation with him. Now this is what he said. This is basically what Nicodemus is saying to the Pharisees. Hey, guys, shouldn't we hear this guy out before we judge him? Like, doesn't he have a right 
to tell us what he's doing before we, we, we jump to conclusions. And what did they say? None of us have ever believed in this guy. Are you from Galilee too? So Galilee is the wrong side of the tracks, guys. Galilee is the ghetto. Galilee is where the slum and the, the people with callous on their hands and smelly clothes and, 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 and they're from the wrong side of the cross. And so Jesus is from the wrong place to be coming to us and telling us he's from God. And not only that, what did the Pharisees say to Nicodemus? You must be from Galilee too. <laughs> so, what do we see? We see those that follow Christ. What disrespect for Nicodemus. Just... Yep. We see that those who follow Christ, and this is something we always need to remember, are going to receive the same treatment as Christ from the world around us. And there's not a one of us in this room, including me, that likes to be treated that way. We want to be accepted. We want to be liked. We want to be appreciated. Mm-hmm. And the world is simply not going to do that. Well, and yet we, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep, you can't. We're not. We're commanded to speak the truth in love. Yep. And so the reality is, every day we are going to be confronted with the world, and we're going to have a reaction to it. Yeah. And the world hates Christ, and they will hate you as well. All right. I want to thank y'all for your time. Let's close with a quick prayer. Thank you so much, Ronnie. All right. Father, thank you for this time we've had together. I pray that you will help us to apply these truths, your word, to our hearts. Um, Help us to realize that this world does not love you and that we are struggling in this world to love you ourselves. And we need your help. We need your guidance. We need your truth. We need the power of your spirit to work in our lives to conform us to your image. Please help everyone here to go out and have a good, safe, and sober week, help them to stay focused on the prize ahead of them, and help them to stay focused on walking in the way, the truth, and the life, which is you, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.